This morning we will be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 29 through 34. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 29 through 34. I'll uh, be reading from the English Standard Version. I'll bring the text up on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So we're picking up, which is really what is kind of the part two or conclusion uh, to last week, uh, which Jesus teaching his disciples as he continues in this section of Luke, which you call the, the school of discipleship, where Jesus is teaching his disciples about anxiety. He went from, uh, um, uh, from uh, persecution and, and the threats uh, from outside to a threat from the inside. And he go with his disciples and that they are going to be facing anxiety. And, and so we talked a bit last week about how Jesus began to answer that, particularly from nature. as He tells us to look to the ravens and how God provides for them, even though they're a bunch of unclean birds that aren't worth much. Uh, he says, you know, look at the lilies and how they are clothed, even though they're only here for a moment and then in the furnace the next. And it's that argument of how much more, if God does this for nature, then how much more will he do for you? And, and so, and we, and, and, but we weren't done yet. And so there's a, there's, Jesus has an argument for, to present, to push back against a, uh, being taken over by a worldly anxiety that begins in nature but ends with the kingdom. And so, and so he's targeting, as we noted last week, he's targeting, he talks about anxiety. He's not targeting anxiety itself specifically, but rather the source from which much anxiety springs, which is our worldly desires. Additionally, we could say that much anxiety comes from not trusting in God as our provider that we just silently doubt that God is going to give us what we truly need. And Martha, Jesus said in the gospel earlier, you know, Martha and Mary went over to Martha's house. And what did he say to Martha? He said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious for many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Martha, of course, is like, that, it doesn't take one thing to throw a party, Jesus Right? But he says, there's, but he says no, that, but there's only one thing that's necessary, and you're missing it. Come in and sit with Mary and sit with me for a while. There will be many more occasions to have parties, many more occasions to prep the food, but you only get a little bit of time at my feet. In other words, we worry about a lot of stuff we don't need to worry about. So what is the answer here? This morning, Jesus is going to press us to clarify 
what it is that we're actually seeking. And then he's going to exhort us to live with what I'm calling a kingdom mindset. And so we need to, first of all, in verses 29 to 31, clarify what it is that we are, speak, that we are seeking. And first, and most clearly, Jesus says simply, seek the kingdom of God. He says it in verse 31. Now, the word to seek, it, means, it doesn't mean just to look for. To seek out means to devote serious effort to take hold of or realize one's desire to get to your objective. It, it reminds me of Paul who spoke often of toiling, striving, working tires, tirelessly, struggling for. But what was he doing all that for? For the gospel to be known, for the church to be strengthened, for the glory of God to be spread throughout the earth, for the kingdom of God to advance in the world. And so we are meant to give priority to the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that we earn salvation in some way by our labors for the sake of the kingdom. It means that our heart's desire is to be for the kingdom of God above anything else on the earth. Now, there's an overly literal way to hear what Jesus is saying here when he says, don't worry about what you should eat or drink and, you know, don't worry about these things. He's like, well, is Jesus saying that we, that we aren't allowed to go get those things? And if we're not allowed to get those things, then we're not allowed to get luxuries, right? I mean, can I get the leather seat option in my car? You know, what about pillows and beds? That's a luxury for a lot of the world, And people have gone to some extreme places, and oftentimes you find those extreme places are defined culturally and and, and by the time period. Uh, But the question is not, what do you have? The question is, what are you seeking? What are you after? What is the direction of your life? Are we seeking the eternal city of God, or are we just kind of wandering around the dustbin of history, collecting up some very nice tinder for the fire of judgment? What are we striving for? What's going to last? What are all our labors and efforts for in the end? What are we going after? What are we devoting ourselves to? And where does the kingdom of God fit into it all? Now, some might say, well, you know, Eric, I'm, I'm just an anxious person. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just a worrier, right? And I'm like, fine, okay, fine. I'm not going to argue with that. Are you anxious for the kingdom of God? Twice in the New Testament letters, anxiety, or what we can call extreme concern, is actually commended. It's actually commended. It's treated as a good thing in the New Testament twice. But but both times, it's for one thing. It's for the church. It's for the kingdom of God. It's for the believers. It's for brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we anxious For the souls of the lost? Are we anxious for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ? And you're like, well, what can I be anxious about and not feel bad about being anxious about? You can be anxious for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Anxious to do good for them. But yeah, but I don't like them half the time. All right? So it's like, all right, well, yeah. And so my concern today is not whether anxiety exists in your life. And if so, then you're a bad Christian. That's what Jesus is saying. Rather, my concern is that you and I would not be ruled by a worldly anxiety. 
That we would not allow the comforts and diversions of this life, the human fears of this world to rule over our hearts and minds, superseding the kingdom of God. Because anxiety is a bondage that prevents us from truly living for God. And Jesus shows us that actually making the kingdom of God first, putting it as the top priority of the highest value, is the pathway of freedom. Freedom from all the worldly anxiety that we suffer from. Are we anxious for the kingdom of God? Or is it something else? That's what we need to ask ourselves when we're feeling that anxiety that is coming on. What am I worried about? What is the thing behind it? What's driving this? Is it kingdom rooted? Is it just pride because I don't want to look stupid if I fall, fail at this thing? Or because uh, this is going to you know, set me back financially a little while? Or is this like, it's like, yeah, there are consequences of those things, but we're supposed to interpret them through the priority of the kingdom. And that just helps kind of turn down the level of the, turn down the alarm when we start doing that and we put the kingdom first. And so we need to see, before we can move forward, we need to see how the gospel reshapes and redirects our desires here. Because that's what this does. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Because Jesus narrows our focus in verses 29 to 31 by telling us what we should not be seeking before he tells us what we should be seeking. And this matters because there are some that might say that Jesus is teaching that the problem, they might see Jesus, Jesus as teaching that the problem is really just human desire itself. The, just the, the human desire that it, as a thing is the problem. And, and uh, in fact, I, I still remember it just burning my brain for some reason. Uh, you know, as, as a pastor, if you want to get angry, you just go walk around like a Books a Million or, or, or like Barnes & Noble and go, go look at the, like, the religion inspirational section, which is where they keep all the Christian stuff. And, and it's just mixed together with all the things. And I found this one book called like Jesus and Buddha. All right. And it was just this kind of like, and they were just, you know, they were just kind of just cherry picking quotes out of the gospels, you know, and just pairing them with teachings. And so it's like, and so, but someone could see what Jesus is teaching here and say, well, you know, see, the problem is just like Buddha taught, just in Buddhism, because Buddhism roots uh, the, much of the world's problems, if not almost all of them, to the existence of human desire. And so the, so the pathway of freedom, according to Buddhism, is the, essentially the denial of that human desire, the killing of that desire. And so that, that if you can deny human desire itself, well, then, then that is actually the pathway uh, to freedom. And so some might hear Jesus saying something like that. But Jesus is not saying that at all. We desire because we are human. He's saying we need to redirect our desire to the kingdom of God. The problem is not the presence of human desire. The problem is the object of our desire. The object of our concern, Jesus says, is not even supposed to be the basic necessities of life, what you are to eat and what you are to drink. The two things that Paul said, that's all he needed to be happy. That's all he needed to be content was food and clothing, right? Um, and so, one, and, and so we're, Jesus says, don't make those your top priority. Why? He said, because that's what the rest of the world does. And it's not working. I don't know if you've noticed it's not working. Your father knows, he says, what you need. Your father knows. And he clothes the lilies of the field. He feeds the ravens. And your father knows what you need. And he will give you what you need. You don't have to run the same race the world runs. 
We are on a different path because we are disciples of Christ. Instead, he says, seek after the kingdom of God. Now, again, Jesus doesn't say that we shouldn't, we shouldn't um, uh, uh, seek or be concerned about anything. He just says we need to have the right priorities. Worldly anxiety is a sign that our priorities are out of alignment. And the kingdom of God is to me number one. And so Jesus is saying that we need to take our gaze of concern and, and shift it from worldly goods, from prideful things, from the things of the world, and shift it up to the kingdom of God. And the way that happens is through Jesus. It's through the gospel. It's not through human effort. As we renounce our obsessions with our worldly goods, and we learn to trust our heavenly Father, that he will provide for us. That's sanctification. That's growing in the grace of God. And it comes only by repentance and faith, even daily. You know, it's funny. It's when I was single and, uh, and, and early on in my 20s, and I was getting pressured by a multi-level marketer to join his crazy scheme. And I told him, and I meant it. I said, I don't care about money. You know, and, I, and I'll say, like, even then, still, money's not my top priority, but I care about money more now because I have six children and a house and a mortgage. You know, like, I have more cares. And Paul gave that warning, right? He said, you know, if you can stay single and you'll have less worldly concerns, you know, worldly's not always bad. Uh, but at the same time, it's that even if you've got, you know, six kids and a van and a house, the kingdom is still to be number one still to be lived out as kingdom number one. And because Jesus isn't advocating that we, uh, you know, all quit our jobs and, uh, you know, wait for the manna to fall from the sky. He's not talking to a bunch of lazy people. He's talking to a bunch of worried and anxious disciples. He's calling us out of the mindset that just kind of partitions a part of our life off for the kingdom of God to say, no, it is all about the kingdom of God. Everything is subservient to the kingdom of God. And so he calls us then to live with a kingdom mindset in verses 32 to 34. Now, saying a kingdom mindset, actually, I don't like that phrase. I feel like I'm about to start preaching the prosperity gospel, leading you in a motivational seminar about how to have a kingdom mindset, you know, how you can get success and or whatever. But, the, but by the grace of God, Christians are citizens of the kingdom. We are heirs of the kingdom of God. We are even children of God. We are part of the family, adopted, but we're still part of the family. And so how do we live in light of being in relation to the king? Well, there's three aspects here. First, we need to learn to trust our heavenly father. Jesus tells his disciples not to be afraid. Jesus is speaking to our anxiety over many, many things, especially the most important things, especially the most threatening things. You know, as I said at the beginning, one of our problems is that we worry about lots of things. But what makes that worry so troubling and so difficult is that we worry about things often that were never promised to us about, by God. I was never promised that job that car, that house, that lifestyle. I've never promised the resolution in that 
relationship. I was never promised. I mean, you name it. There's, a, there's about a million things that I was never promised, but for some reason, I was like, I am going to be anxious about this until I get it. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Why? Because he says, so let's take it another way. So you say, okay, well, all right, I'm making the kingdom my top priority. I care about the kingdom of God. That's my number one thing. I want to see it. I want to, I want to see it go forward. I want to see it just, that's all I care about. That's my big deal. And, and, and it's from the heart. Like, just, let's just 100% true, genuine, just there's been a whole heart change, mind change. And, you know, I went to a conference and I came back and I'm on fire for, for a week. All right, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm all about it. Okay. And then, I, but then I start getting anxious about how's it going to happen? What if I screw it up? You know, like you start getting like that. Well, like, how do I know that I'm going to get the kingdom of God? Well, the thing is, is that has been promised. And so Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There may be a lot of things that you wanted that you've messed up that you're not going to get because of fault of your own or through no fault of your own. And you're not going to get those things. The kingdom of God is not one of those things for the people of God. He says, okay, well, you messed that up, but it doesn't mean you lose the kingdom of God. Why? Because it is your father's pleasure. It is your father's delight to give you the kingdom of God. It is the thing that he has promised to you. It is the thing that he has sealed for you. It's the thing that he gives you a sign that you are going to receive regularly. It is the Father's pleasure to bless his undeserving children. When we hear that, when we take that to heart, then we can do the second part, which is to be generous with what we have. Jesus says that if we seek the kingdom and trust our Father, that our life is characterized by generosity. We don't hold on to our possessions with a death grip. We don't see uh, our possessions or even our time, our resources, uh, uh, just in that way. We see them as things that, that, that can be used actually to care for those who are in need, and especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because our goal is not, as Jesus says here, it's not earthly success with, uh, with, with earthly money bags and treasure that fails us when we die. It, our hope is not in treasure that can be stolen or destroyed. Our hope, our goal, is to provide ourselves with treasure that is in heaven, that is incorruptible, that cannot be taken from us because it was not merited or earned by us, but is promised to us by our Savior. A kingdom mindset affects how we view our possessions in this life, affects how we view our time, our relationships, our priorities. We are freed from the tyranny of being owned by all our stuff. We are free to invest in the eternal kingdom. Again, nothing is being said in this passage about making money, having money, or having things. This is certainly not a prosperity message, though, because the, 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 the false gospel, the prosperity gospel, says that you know, God cares about your prosperity upon the earth, that he has a special concern for that, that he wants you healthy and wealthy. 
And, and so that you give of your worldly goods in order to increase in worldly goods as a sign of the blessing of God. But the true gospel that produces a kingdom-oriented mind and heart that yearns for the redemption of the cosmos, even as it yearns for the redemption of our bodies, that, that longs for the return of Christ, that kingdom-minded person is simply not obsessed with what we have been given by God upon the earth but how to make use of what God has given to us to bring him glory and to bring his people joy. And the final word on this is right at the end there, where Jesus, he wants us to be mindful of the treasure heart connection. Jesus reminds us that the object of our desire, the place where we store up treasure, wherever that is, that's where our heart's going to be. If we are treasuring this life only or mostly, then our heart will be very earthly and very worried because we know how flimsy that hope is. But if we are treasuring that which is in heaven, that which is yet to come, that which is even now in the process of coming into the world presently, the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel, then our heart will be tied up with the kingdom And we will know joy, and joy that cannot be shaken. And while there certainly is a a difference between the mindset of an unbeliever and a Christian here that we could talk about, we know that Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. He's addressing his people. That means that there are many Christians who will arrive in the kingdom of God one day feeling very foolish and regretful about all the worry that they poured out into a life and place that passed by in a moment. Now, that's not to make any anxious disciple here today feel guilty, as much as it is to help stir us and motivate us to set our treasure in heaven, to stir us, to stir up that eternal joy that is ours in Christ, to stir stir us up to pursue the kingdom, to pursue the freedom that is in his grace. And anxiety is a difficult thing because sometimes it just, and I know it because I've experienced it. I experience anxiety. Sometimes it just feels like an anxious cloud. And somebody, if, you know, you talk to somebody and they're like, like, I just feel anxious. They'll be like, why? I don't know. I just woke up feeling like this, right? I don't know why it is. Why? Because of all everything, all the things. That's why I'm anxious, right? And, and we may not be able to put our finger on it. Other times, we might say, well, I'm anxious because the people I love are hurting, because these bad things are happening, these health conditions are hitting, because of these different things, like these things are, it's not, it's not just because I want more money that I'm anxious, or because I want a nicer house that I'm anxious, Eric, You're like, I'm anxious because things are, things are hard and difficult, and I'm struggling, and people I love are struggling, and so I'm anxious, yeah, I'm anxious. Again, we have to ask ourselves, what, is, what are we anxious about? And how is it that it relates to the kingdom? Does this somehow supersede the kingdom of God? How does the gospel speak to this situation? 
Because a lot of times, there's a lot of anxiety that results because we're not applying the grace of the gospel to the situation. Instead, we're applying somehow like, you know, I've already talked to you about my method, which is just to quietly just bear more and more stuff on my shoulders until I break down and weep and have a little crying episode and just and finally admit that I need, need help, right? Like, that's like, there's that one way to do it. I don't recommend that method, all right? But that's one way people deal with anxiety. But, like, what is it and how do we apply God's grace to it? And, there's, and a lot of times, I will be honest, like, a lot of my pastoral anxiety comes from me not wanting to look like an idiot in front of you. That's what it comes down to. You know, when we have visitors come in, I don't want to look like a moron, right? And a seminary student, too, I got impressed, right? And so it's just like, and so, like, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's that kind of stuff where I'm like, I can dress it up and be like, well, it's the church, and I'm anxious for the church like the Apostle Paul. And it's like, no, you're being prideful, and you care what people think. All right? And so we need to have a gut-level honesty or talk to the people who can be honest with us, who know us well, and to say, help me get to the root of this because I know the kingdom of God is number one, and that is secure to me, but I am filled with anxiety. And at the end of the day, just pray. At the end of the day, learn how to pray. And at the end of the day, remember that Jesus does not reject you because you're anxious. Rather, he welcomes his anxious disciples to come in and to lay down their burdens and to take up his burden, which is light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness that is constantly on display. Lord, and we confess that we are foolishly, worldly anxious And the longer we're in the church, the more able we are to dress it up with church terms that sound noble and righteous. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to the sources of our anxiety. That you would show us the ways that we're actually not trusting in you and we're trusting in ourselves. But even at that moment, you would steer us away from despair and beating ourselves up to be reminded of the the continued grace of the Savior that that shows us our weakness, shows us our failure. But then, like Peter, says, says to us now, go feed my sheep. Go serve me. You're still my disciple. Lord, may we be overwhelmed. May our anxiety be replaced with being overwhelmed with the gracious goodness of our Savior, Jesus. It does not come down with austerity and violence upon our souls. Who does seek to be violent towards our sinful nature, towards the flesh. But by his spirit comforts us and lifts our eyes gently to him. That we may leave our anxieties. That we may set the kingdom of God as primary in our hearts, that we may live lives of freedom in a world that is racked with sin and corruption and weakness and failure. And so, Father, we pray that you would deal with our anxious hearts. Deal with our anxious hearts not as we deserve, but deal with our anxious hearts in accordance with your grace and mercy in Jesus. And, Lord, we love you. 
We confess that we love you imperfectly. We, lo- we love you weakly, but we love you. And we thank you for loving us. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless us now as we take time to go to the sacrament, as we continue in our worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.